Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. I'm James Briarton in Charlotte. It is Wednesday, January 18th, 2023. Joining me this week on our panel, we have Scotty Powell, who is in Myrtle Beach. We've got Frank Strait in Columbia, South Carolina. And our guest this week, you know him, we love him. He's back for a whole new year. It's Tony Rice, NASA ambassador in Raleigh. I want to start by letting everyone know that tonight's show is called Rocket Emoji plus Christmas Tree Emoji plus Beach Emoji plus Tornado Emoji, which looking <laughs> over right now on Facebook and a couple of their platforms, posted as question mark question plus mark, question, mark, question mark, mark question mark plus question mark. <laughs> it's the mystery show. <laughs> it's the mystery show. Episode 438. If you're joining us live on YouTube and Facebook, please join the conversation and help others break the code. Remember, the code word this week is Rock Chip Christmas Tree Beach Tornado. If you want in the right. secret club, that's what it's, it's the password. <laughs> that's, that's right. Later in the show, we will ask for the secret code. And if you have it, you win nothing. Uh, we want to uh, bring Tony in again, who we love dearly. He is a great resource for all of us here in the Carolinas and beyond because it is time to play What's in the Sky this year. And uh, Tony, we had lots of great events in the sky last year and the year before. We're getting really into a good rhythm, I think, of looking at SpaceX launches at Cape Canaveral, which we saw earlier in the week. Uh, Wallops launches from Virginia. Lunar eclipse last year. I mean, let's look at this. Let's look at this video here real fast. This is from Mark Suddeth. He took this in Wrightsville Beach earlier in the week. And this is the SpaceX launch from Cape Canaveral, which was timed perfectly with that sunset. And you could just see it illuminating the sky. So here in January, that just gets my hopes up, uh, Tony, that we're going to have a great year ahead for lots of spectacular things in the sky. Is that true? That is absolutely true. There's going to be a number of meteor showers, and we can talk about which ones are going to be great and which ones are not going to be so great because it varies from year to year because of our friend, the moon. Uh, the, if that you know peak of a particular uh, very active meteor shower occurs during a new moon, that's optimal. It's got you that nice bright or nice dark sky that's not going to hide those, those dimmer meteors. So we can go through that calendar and... Uh, and highlight which ones are going to be the ones to look out for uh, coming up in 23. But I want to touch on that rocket launch that you just uh, yeah, brought up there. So if you wouldn't mind, bring that video back up and, and let's look at that. Uh, right now we're seeing the what we call the jellyfish effect. And this is so cool. We get to see all the characteristics of our atmosphere in these rocket launches. The reason that's starting to look like a jellyfish, or some people call it a Q-tip, is because that, that plume, that exhaust that's coming out of the rocket engine, it's up high enough now that it is in that thinner part of the atmosphere. So it really gets that opportunity to expand out. What you're seeing right here is, uh, is evidence of this is a, a Falcon 9 Heavy, which is basically three Falcon 9s bolted together uh, to give that extra Delta V that needs, uh, it is necessary to push this larger uh, satellite up into orbit. Now those, those three um, Falcon 9s uh, boosters booster segments, they landed and they're gonna reuse them. The center one landed out in the ocean, um, about 30 miles out uh, off the, the coast of Florida. The other two returned back to the, the launch site. So there's a couple of giant concrete pads out there at Cape Canaveral 
right? and back there on their own. They'll refurbish them and, and, and stick them back out there. But let's talk about why this is visible. And I think you mentioned wallops as a, a possibility coming up. So um, there's two major launch sites that we have some opportunity to see rocket launches from. You know, even here in the Carolinas, even you all the way out there in Charlotte, me a little bit closer to the coast in Raleigh, and certainly folks that are out on the, uh, the coast in, uh, in Myrtle and Wilmington and so on and so forth. It's mostly about timing to be able to see something launching from the Cape down in Florida or up at uh, Wallops Flight Facility in Virginia. Um, obviously, both of those launch sites are below the horizon. We all know that the earth is round. We're not going to debate that on this show, I hope. Uh, but uh, so, you know, the, the horizons, you know, uh, uh, even if you're, you know, 10, 15 miles away from that launch site, it's still, you know, over the horizon where that launch pad is. Uh, the reason we can see it is because that rocket is obviously getting up to its apex height, you know, pretty high in the, in the uh, atmosphere. We're able to see that, but it takes more than just proximity. It takes timing. Any launch from either one of those sites is going to be happening during the day. We're probably not going to be able to see. That's just not going to happen. Now, why we saw this one is because it occurred around sunset. So those that are happening in the hour or so after sunset, or the ones that are really great, are the ones that are in the hour before sunrise. We've got that sun to help us out here. It's nice and dark down here on the ground. Up there in the upper atmosphere, that's where the sun is still shining. So it really highlights those uh, rocket trails. The reason the morning, the, the pre-dawn um, launches are so spectacular is those trails are backlit. And we often see iridescent clouds coming out of that, you know, really uh, beautiful rainbow colors within those, um, within those trails. I think back to, um, I believe it was STS, I wanna say it was 132. Uh, one of the, the final couple of uh, rocket launches, shuttle launches down at the Cape. And I had my family down there and we woke everybody up at three, four in the morning, um, headed down to the Cape and, and, and found our seats and were watching the launch. As the family sleepily, you know, heading back to the car, they just want to get back to the hotel and go back to bed. I'm snapping pictures away in the parking lot because the the sea breezes are starting to come in and it's twisting that that plume around and creating what looked like a fire breathing dragon. I'll have to find some pictures and, and send it to you. But that you know, that's amazing. why those pre-dawn launches are so, so cool. So whenever you see a launch from um, coming up in Wallops or coming up in um, down at the Cape, if it's happening somewhere after sunset or before sunrise, those are the ones to look for. We have this map that Wallops has put out for this coming Monday, the 23rd, subject to change. But they've got a launch that in the moments after launch, assuming the weather is cooperating, we might be able to see it across all of the Carolinas. We're going to have to look to the northeastern sky. If you're watching from other portions of the Mid-Atlantic or Southeast, you're just going to want to orient yourself towards the Virginia coast. And so uh, this was a launch, Tony, I believe that was uh, rescheduled from last year. I think mm -hmm. they were come they were coming into the holiday window, if I remember, where the FAA and everyone tries to make sure they're optimizing for flights. And uh, we know that the flights before Christmas had their own trouble beyond whether or not there were rockets taking off. But uh, I think this is going to be another spectacular opportunity if the weather cooperates to maybe take the kids outside and take a look at it and. Who knows? We know we've had lots of live streams with those and people love watching and hoping that they get to see those. That's right. 
Um, there's another thing in the sky right now, Tony, and you tweeted a picture of this guy a little bit earlier. It's the uh, uh, infamous new meteor that was just discovered that you can see with your naked eye. I wanted to make sure I brought you back on camera when I said that so I can see the look <laughs> on your face as I was lying to everyone. So Comet C-22E3ZTF. These are always mouthfuls. Yeah, that rolls right off the tongue. Doesn't it, though? Yeah, we don't give these cool names because, honestly, there's too many of them that come along. So let's pick apart the name real quick. C stands for Comet. The 2022 stands for the year when it was uh, discovered. So you'll notice these last couple of comets of the century, if you will. Um, and notice there's been several comets within that, that century. Uh, they've all been recently discovered. And you should learn something about it. Learn something from that. They're, we're always watching the sky. We're always finding things that are, are, are new and, and are, are coming through our solar system. And the ZTF stands for the uh, observatory, which it was discovered at, which is down outside of, of San Diego. But the reason this one is exciting is because it is coming through our, our neck of the woods. It's coming through our part of the solar system and it could be visible. Right now it is visible with a telescope. A friend of mine up in Durham uh, took some great pictures of it a couple of weeks back. He had to open his camera lens for 17 minutes to get a picture of it. So that should tell you how dim this thing is. It is brightening. It reached um, um, it, it reached perihelion, its closest point to the sun, uh, back on the 12th of this month. So, you know, just about a week ago. Um, and something exciting happened, if you could bring up that tweet again, uh, this doesn't happen too very often. The sun actually poked a hole in the tail of this comet. What probably happened here is we've had a couple of what are called coronal mass ejections. And it's just basically the sun having a, uh, it, it belches out um, plasma, it belches out solar wind. And this is all happening in three dimensions. So that could go anywhere in the solar system or any direction. It happened to go in the direction of this comet and it was enough to kind of poke a hole there. The, um, the image that I've got there um, shows this particular comet. Uh, we've also seen this happen with previous comets where the coronal mass ejection will absolutely rip off the tail of the comet. So uh, pretty interesting there. What a comet, what a comet's tail is, is, is all that dust and debris that is being excited by the sun and spit out from that ice as it turns into gas and streams behind the comet. That can extend for millions of miles too. Wow, yeah, never, I don't think I ever thought about the fact that its its tail could be ripped off or, or damaged. And I just want to reiterate, and you said it there, but for anyone who only heard my part of the question, you will not be able to see this with your naked eye. You will not be able to see this with your naked eye. The hope is that uh, as it gets closer to Earth, this brightness in, um, in the sky is a function of a couple of things. Obviously, the amount of light that's being emitted or reflected in this case by the object. You know, that, that's part of it, but also how close it is. And that's why the moon is so much brighter to us than, you know, say, the planets that are so much bigger. It's because it's so much closer to us. The comet comes its closest to us in that first week of February. So we still have a little bit of brightening here. But in the next hour or two, this comet could break apart too. We just don't know. So if you're looking to see this comet, look in the northeast. Um, it's it's up um, just above the Big Dipper right now. Don't expect to see a great big shining green light in the sky. This actually has kind of a, a small comma or the, 
the glowing kind of uh, head around the comet, so it's a little bit more difficult to see. Uh, you might, from a very dark sky sight, be able to see it with a pair of binoculars. Uh, that might be a little much. You know, keep looking over the next couple of weeks and we might be able to catch it. I'm planning on going out the next really clear morning. You're going to want to be looking in the hours before sunrise, again, in the northeast. Um, the good news is this is a little bit higher in the sky. If you remember back to some of the comets that we had in um, previous years, the advice was to look really close to the horizon. So you had to find just the right site that had, you know, nice low tree line. We don't have to worry about this, that this time, which is kind of great. But I'm planning on going out in the couple, next couple of mornings and uh, getting some pictures of it. We'll see what happens. We will look for those on your very awesome Twitter account, which I'll just show people on screen again. Uh, if you haven't yet followed Tony on Twitter, that's a great place to do it. Because, Tony, we have events beyond the next couple of weeks, right? We have almost a whole year's worth of highlights ahead of us we do so let's cover off on the meteor showers first so the, the ones i'm gonna highlight are going to be uh the perseids in um they're gonna peak the night of the august 12th into the august 13th um the moon is only gonna be about 10 percent lit then and that's what's gonna uh -huh. make it really great to see uh, and then the geminids are ones that usually are, are pretty pretty prolific we generally get a, a good amount of meteors per hour there uh, and that one is going to be the night of December 13th into the 14th. Uh, the moon will have turned new like hours before. So we'll have a nice, nice dark sky there. Um, the other ones you know, uh, that we often bring up, the Quantronids or the Lyrids or, you know, maybe the, the Orionids or Leonids, they're kind of meh. And it's uh, more because the moon is going to be quite bright at the time and not really worth going out to see. Yeah, we had the moon interfere. Was it last summer? Uh, many times, yes. <laughs> <laughs> many, many times. Which, which time was it that the moon, yeah. uh, well, yes. Um, but uh, last year we had a lunar eclipse. Do we have any eclipses in 2023? No lunar eclipses, but we've got two solar eclipses coming up in 23 and 24. Mm -hmm. So here in the Carolinas, they're both going to be partial. Um, the uh, path of the... Uh, eclipse on October 14th of 23. It's going to take it from Oregon uh, down, uh, exiting out of the, the U.S. across um, Texas and out through Mexico. That's going to be what's called an annual eclipse. Doesn't mean it's one that happens every year. What annular means in this case is annulus or, or ring. Uh, if you've ever seen any pictures of eclipses where you see this ring of fire, that's an annular eclipse. And what's your perfect right there? Uh, what you're seeing is the moon is passing in front of the sun as it would during a total eclipse, but it's happening at a point in the moon's orbit where it's farther away from Earth. So since it's farther away, it's, um, uh, it, it's measurement uh, in degrees is you know, a little bit less, and it's not enough to cover up the sun as it would in a total eclipse. So we're left with that ring of fire. The ring of fire is only going to be visible across that path that is occurring from there. That's perfect. That's the map right there. Uh, across that path that's stretching from Oregon down through Texas. Now, I, I did the math, too, and, and figured out if you could bring up the 2024 eclipse map. Okay. And we'll, we'll kind of compare those. They actually intersect. And oh, yeah. it turns out it's a little winery down in South Texas that I would kind of like to uh, camp out at for a couple of months and wait through these two, two eclipses. So the 2024 eclipse is going to happen in April. And uh, that's going to stretch up through Mexico 
and up through um, Texas and on into uh, the New England states, then out through the, the Canadian Maritimes. So this is the big deal. This is the one that you, you don't want to miss. If you've got any opportunity to get yourself to that path. Now think about all those friends you had in high school or college or family or whatever, somewhere you can go couch surf. Couch surfing actually might be easier to, uh, to swing than finding hotels along here because this is a big deal. A lot of people are going to travel. Yeah, um, but you want to be there. It's a very different experience to be in the path of totality. We've many of us here have had the opportunity to see a, a, a partial eclipse. It's awesome. Nothing compares to going and seeing totality. I think Brad Panovich, uh, his parents, I think, live somewhere over here in Ohio. I think that's the couch he has reserved for 2020. I, I have one reserved in Waco, Texas. What? That'll work. Now yeah, you tell me. Work. Yeah, I'm excited about it. <clears throat> I'm thinking Texarkana. Yeah. And I'm thinking Texas too, mostly because of weather possibilities. You can't see an eclipse if the clouds are in the way. And the climatology tells us that uh, it, it tends to be a little bit less of a risk down through Texas. Are you guys saying Texas because of Scotty's shirt? Bucky's, my Bucky shirt. <laughs> I'm going to have to experience a Bucky's when I make it there in 24. Yes, you have to, Tony. Florence, you have can't to. you know? In South Carolina? Yeah, you can go down to Florence, you know, you get you a little okay. taste of Bucky's. Okay. No influencer money was exchanged for that plug. <laughs> that is just Scotty's diehard love for Bucky's. And, and I will tell Tony can speak to this too. When we had the last uh, eclipse that came through a couple of years ago, the path of totality came through the Carolinas. And when Tony's talking about travel, like the travel down to the upstate of South Carolina from Western North Carolina at the time was typical, but coming back, it was like seven, eight hours trying to get back. To yeah, West but it was also like Y2K-esque panic. Like we yeah. thought everyone was going to get trapped down there for a week. Yeah, they were, but there were cars parked on the side. I mean, it, it, it really is. If you're planning to go out there, you, like Tony said, you may want to find a couch or something because I guarantee yeah. you there's hotels already full for that. You should definitely day. plan on staying that day and not trying to move until the next day for those reasons yeah. you mentioned. There's a great video on, on YouTube that just takes an animation of Google traffic on the day of that eclipse in 2017. It doesn't show the eclipse path at all, but you can see it in the red that shows up on those various roads as it gets clogged with people leaving after the eclipse. Yeah, yeah, I, I believe it. It was really crowded uh, in Pickens and Oconee counties where I saw the eclipse. I had someone run in the back of me in Inman. So. Mm. Yeah. That's not good. People not <laughs> that, that was how I spent my time after the eclipse. <laughs> yeah. Fun. So there's a couple other uh, events that I wanted to mention too. Um, January 31st. So this is coming up in just a couple of days actually, there's going to be a lunar occultation. So what an occultation is, it's, it's kind of like an eclipse, um, but you can think of it as a much, much bigger item passing in front of a smaller item. So it's a lunar occultation of Mars. So the moon is going to pass in front of Mars. This is really only experienceable from uh, certain parts of, of, of the globe. You got to be in the right place to be able to see this. Uh, this is going to be visible from a good part of the southern U.S. So, you know, look that up. If you do a, a, a Google search on uh, Mars occultation, you'll come to uh, a group of folks that have devoted it's their hobby to figure out when these things are going to happen and where the optimal place to look is. So I know you've got. I'm going uh, to put that word on the screen right now because if anyone else out there is like me, I just had to Google the spelling of this. I think this is the right word. Hopefully it's 
that is that it? It is not O C C U L T A T I O N. Occultation. It's occulting. That's the way to think of it. That's what I get for trying to Google things. Oh, you, you get an E for effort. Uh, uh, but there's actually <laughs> going to be another occultation, uh, this time of of Jupiter in May. And that one's probably going to be a little more visible for folks that, that tune into the Carolina Weather Group. That's May 17th. And uh, that's going to be the crescent moon passing in front of Jupiter. I'm looking forward to that one because it's actually going to pass, um, begin its pass on the part of the moon that is not lit. Uh, so, you know, think about a, a crescent moon, you're seeing the partially sunlit side. You know, there's still that other side of the moon that's sitting there. It just doesn't have sunlight on it. So it's gonna be really kind of cool to see Jupiter wink out as the moon moves in front of it. That's mostly what's happening here. The moon's moving much faster and you know more visibly for us. So we're gonna another occultation. Um, the next one I'll point out too is on the solstice, June 21st. Oh yeah. Okay. That is kind of cool that it's the solstice. It's the beginning of um, um, astronomical summer, and we can have that fight if you want about what's real <laughs> beginning of summer. Is it astronomical or is it uh, um, meteorological? Uh, but you know, on the solstice, the moon and Mars and Venus are going to be in a position in the sky that kind of forms a triangle. I'm looking forward to that one too. I think that's going to create some some cool pictures. And let me give you one more. You like supermoons? Sure. Who doesn't like supermoons? I've learned to love supermoons. Nothing scientific about them whatsoever. The term was actually created by an astrologer, an astronomer, an astrologer. You know, that guy that tells you your, your fortune and all that? Nothing uh, scientific about it. But, hey, if it gets people outside looking at the sky, I'm all for it. All it is is a, a moon, a full moon occurring around the time of that perigee, you know, when the moon is closer to Earth. So it looks a little bit bigger. It does look quite a bit brighter too, uh, but there's a couple of supermoons that are coming up this year. Uh, July 3rd, August 1st, um, September 30th, that's actually a blue supermoon. It's not gonna be the color blue, but it's a blue moon, which is completely calendrical. There's your oh, word like for the day. Like once in a blue moon. There you go. It's okay. the second moon in that calendar month so it's a calendrical thing um and then the last super moon will be on october 29th so we'll have a white moon still hanging around for trick-or-treaters this year if jared were here he would tell you how much he hates super moons because it makes the king tides just that much worse <laughs> in charleston and and that is a real scientific thing unlike the gentleman who came up with the term super moon was looking for correlations with earthquakes and full moons at perigee there is no correlation. South Carolina also has lots of earthquakes, but I'm guessing there's no actual correlation. <laughs> now we're going to we're going to start taking notes. Every earthquake, what phase is the moon in? <laughs> Was the moon blue? No, no, it wasn't. Um, well, that's I, I, I love science uh, and all things in the sky. And I think so many people who watch the show do, and I'm looking forward, we mentioned it a moment ago, and I'm going to mention again that if they can manage to get this off, uh, the Wallops launch on Monday, I don't know if we gave a time here on the 23rd, but between 6 and 8 p.m. Eastern time is when hopefully you'll be able to look up in the sky and see it somewhere from 60 to 60 seconds to 180 seconds post-launch. And so you'll have to probably tune into a live stream, keep an ear to their countdown since there's a two-hour long window for that, 
and then get outside with a clear view of the sky if you want to try to see it. Uh, and as we always say, those live streams, they tend to be a minute or two behind. So when they start getting to like the two minute mark, <laughs> get outside. And, and let's hope for that earlier in the launch window. Let's hope that works because yeah. that is when we are going to get the really nice backlighting of the plume and make it really, really visible. Now, possibly even out to Asheville. That would be, you know, we've had some of these wallops launches before, but I don't think we've had too many of them that have extended this far to the West. So if you feel like you've missed out before, this might be your opportunity. This is a smaller rocket, certainly smaller than that uh, Falcon Heavy. Uh, so I've never really, I've not seen one of these launched before. I can't really speak to what it's going to look like, but definitely worth going outside and taking a look. It's on my bucket list to go watch a wallops launch and I will scoop you up on the way. Uh, I, I think I can actually get to, um, and I'm sure you can, uh, get to the, the Cape Canaveral faster. There, there's, <laughs> a, there's a bay in the way, and <laughs> yeah, it, that's on my bucket. I've not made it up to Wallops myself. Um, worked with plenty of scientists out of Wallops, uh, but I haven't made it up there for a launch. Definitely want to see that sometime. Well, we are looking forward to it. I'm sure we'll get to watch many of these probably alongside of you again, Tony. So we're looking forward to that uh, the, the year ahead. So let's talk again, uh, definitely before that annular eclipse. I'm gonna get everybody ready for that one, and we'll get your uh, your predictions on cloud cover. Uh, yeah, you know what we, what we might expect there, because we may want to move around a little bit within North Carolina to get you the, bring uh, the space the data. We'll bring the cloud data. That sounds perfect. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Scotty's dog agrees. And we'll yeah, bring Scotty's she, dog. Weather dog. Yeah, she's ready to go. <laughs> no, where I work, we have a rule: if we hear the dog, we get to see the dog. Oh, okay. Well, right. Hold on one second. Okay. Now, granted, uh, we've been in the process of moving. She needs a haircut, but oh, she is. very cute. What breed? Her, her name is Lola. She's a Papillon. Oh, very nice. Yeah. She's so, enjoying the lights, I think. And she very is. photogenic. She's starstruck right now. <laughs> so, what are you doing to me? <laughs> what is this? Oh. Uh, well, Tony, we appreciate your time tonight. Uh, for folks watching along at home, they can find you on Twitter and get some of this information and updates delivered to them. And uh, I think we have checked off the rocket part of tonight's uh, show. Coming up after a very quick break, we're going to explain what Christmas trees and beaches have in common. And Tony, you're welcome to stick around, or if you want to run, that's fine too. We'll I'm turning into a pumpkin. I appreciate the invite. <laughs> Happy to do it anytime. We'll talk Hi, to you Tony, again. Tony, thank you. Yeah, Tony. Thanks we'll, a lot. Caroline Weather Group, we'll be right back. Uh, and let you guys see what it is that I'm experiencing. Um, trying to get a direct measurement with a handheld uh, Kestrel anemometer here. We'll see what we can pick up, but uh, when a tornado worn cell came through the neighborhood and it brought down several large pines, just like the one you're seeing right here behind me. To give you a sense of what the aftermath of storm damage smells like, it smells very heavily of pine and also sounds like chainsaws. We have another tree down here. This one just barely missing this brick home. I mean, this is incredible. Let me turn the camera around. Gives back into kind of a dry view. And I get up here, and all of a sudden, storm surge started. 
and all of a sudden, I ended up about four feet of water. I'm Scotty Powell here reporting just outside of Sparta, North Carolina, where you've seen a lot of the earthquake damage. Again, a 5.1 magnitude earthquake rocked Sparta, uh, North Carolina earlier this morning, just after 8 a.m. If you're going to look at the footing of that, you'll see where the, it was a twist. Very severe wind that caused the destruction. From Gaston County to back here in Mecklenburg County, those were just two of the tornado warnings that were issued here for the greater Charlotte area. I'm not one for hyperbole, but it's countless at this point. There's trees on houses. There's a lot of roads that are blocked. We're just trying to get cleaned up so people can get through. Have you ever seen the Dan River like this before? No, not that I can recall. I mean, I've seen it fairly flooded before, but I've never seen it to where it's where we're now kind of asking ourselves, OK, a couple more feet and it might uh, get over those bridges. Welcome back to the Carolina Weather Group. A live look at the sky tonight in Matthews, North Carolina, just outside of Charlotte. Joining us again from the Carolina Weather Group, we've got Scotty Powell, Frank Strait, and Scotty's dog. Is your dog still there? She went, she's laying in the bed right now. So way, way too done. much. Wait, Frank, where's your cat? Is your cat around, Frank? Nowhere around at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a cat. Yes. Um, well, we pray, we thank Tony. We hope you enjoyed that uh, first segment about uh, the upcoming space events for the year ahead. And do like and subscribe, and we'll keep you updated with those conditions as we draw near, especially with that wallops launch on Monday. Let's move to phase two of tonight's show. What do Christmas trees and beaches have in common? Scotty Powell has the answer and i'm yeah. i learned something new here when you went out and conducted this interview scotty so we're going to go to the tape in a moment but but tell everyone what do christmas trees and beaches have in common yeah so you know we're i i don't know about you but there's still some people in my apartment complex that have their christmas decorations up so we know as january comes in a lot of uh, folks uh, have home or um live Christmas trees. So what do you do with those live Christmas trees? Well, you donate them to the state park. Up in North Carolina, they are donating Christmas trees to help beach erosion. And we all know the coast has been battered with hurricanes year after year over the last several years. And so a neat idea of how Christmas trees are helping the beaches get back to normal during the hurricane season. I'm here with Laura Eckhart, who works for the North Carolina State Park Services, and uh, she's located in Fort Macon, which is along the North Carolina coast. And Laura, appreciate you joining us. Uh, you guys have a pretty cool initiative going on right now. Uh, we were just outside of the holiday season, and uh, you're asking for Christmas trees. What, what's the reason for that? They help build up our dunes, which protects the beaches, protects the island, and and result the mainland. How, how do you guys do this? Do people just kind of like bring you Christmas trees? Like, um, can they donate it there or do they turn it into a certain place? And then how does it get to you? When you come into the park, you drive all the way up into the Fort parking lot and you'll see we have signs placed all along the way. You'll see a big spot that says place Christmas trees here. And right now we have a pretty good sized pile of Christmas trees out there. That's super easy to see. Just throw them in that pile and we'll get them. We'll get them out on the beach. When you when people drop them off, what is what does that process look like? What are you what are you guys doing with them? How do you when we get them from the pile, we kind of do a look over to make sure all the non-natural elements are off the tree. Then we kind of load them up into trucks or ATVs and head out on the beach, kind of look for specific spots that we want to good spots to prevent erosion in the future. And we lay them out there. And so what's the idea? Like once you lay them out there, what how does this 
um, create, like help the dune system and help prevent erosion. So with the wind, uh, we usually get north winds, all that sand gets trapped in the Christmas trees with the needles. And it's a really good place for sea oat, sea rocket to start latching on and growing up, eventually turning into a dune. Um, I know recently this year we had um, Hurricane Ian affect parts of South Carolina. Uh, but what, what's it been like there at Fort Macon? Have you guys had any major um, damage or any major blows over the last few seasons with hurricanes? We've definitely lost a lot of beach. Um, with the Christmas trees, hopefully we're going to start regaining that. Um, but I know we were washed out a little bit more than we would like during uh, Ian and Florence. Florence hit us pretty hard. How bad is the erosion there at Fort Macon? I mean, is this are these Christmas trees more preventative or are you already seeing that erosion happen and you're wanting to kind of um, lessen the effect the next time a hurricane moves close to the area? Definitely, it's already happening. Um, even right now, we're kind of putting them out to try to build the beach back up. I don't think, and I could be wrong, hopefully, um, but we'll ever get into a strictly preventative measure with the Christmas trees. Gotcha. Yeah, that's kind of kind of nerve wracking. Uh, and yeah. being there along the coast and knowing that you already have these these events happening, and then um, you know when a hurricane hits, are you guys seeing erosion also from like um, king tides and things like that? I mean, is yeah. is that a pretty common occurrence even outside of hurricanes? Yeah. Um, even with some of the minor storm systems we've been seeing right now, um, our jetty at the bathhouse that's usually completely emerged is starting to show itself. Yeah, so they're still accepting Christmas trees. So if you live in the Wilmington area, southeast North Carolina, even the northeast part, South Carolina here along the Grand Strand, you can donate those Christmas trees. And how this works is the wind pushes all this sand into the trees. Eventually, we start to see seagrass, sea oats grow up through these trees, and it kind of adds as a protective barrier from the ocean back into the mainland or the, the um, state forest, the state park. And even like if you have condos or hotels, that's that's the idea. And I know from portions south of Myrtle Beach towards Polly's Island, that really got hit hard with Hurricane Ian with storm surge and erosion. These are needed. So if you do have those live Christmas trees, make sure you take all the decorations off. Ask your local state park, especially if you live in the eastern part of North or South Carolina. Hey, you know, can I drop this off? Maybe you can use it for erosion protection for years to come. That was so cool, Scotty. I It never even occurred to me that this was a, a possibility to repurpose that tree uh, and get some other use out of it. And while I'm sure it would be easier for folks who are near the coast to get that tree out there, if you're traveling in the next couple of weeks, you have a pickup truck or something, throw it on in there. And I'm sure I didn't ask this, but I'm sure if, like James said, if you are traveling and you have that tree with you, I'm sure they'll take these past February. But that's kind of like the date right now. People have really taken down the Christmas decorations, but uh, it's a great initiative. And this is something they've been doing for a while. And they have pretty big, as you can see in that video, pretty big pile of trees that people donate every year. So continue donating, donating those trees and, and helping out to keep that erosion at bay as much as possible. My street, there's no more Christmas decorations left on it, but I was in Monroe last night and I saw uh, about three houses on the north side of Monroe in Union County. And I was like, giant inflatable Santa. So they're still out there. If I could pan the camera out of my apartment complex, you can still see several Christmas lights out there. So, <laughs> Frank, you still have holiday decorations up? 
I remember to unmute myself, unlike some other people here. Yeah, that helps. <laughs> uh, no, I actually never put them up in the first place. My girlfriend, however, has her exterior lights still up, and she's still lighting them, and she refuses to take them down, and she insists on continuing to light them. I'm living with you that. You know, during the pandemic, <laughs> I left a strand of white lights going up a tree in my front yard, and we light it year-round, and we call it the party tree. I don't know. It's just mood. Uh, I was going to say, it puts me in a good mood anytime. I, I don't criticize people that have Christmas lights up all year round. I like it. So. I well, certainly Scotty, don't blame people for never taking them down. That's a pain yeah. in, the, in the rear. In my past, uh, there was once a, a tragic thing that happened to someone who was taking his Christmas lights down. So, Oh. Yeah. It fell off his roof. Oh, that yeah. sounds bad. It is yeah, dangerous. I, yeah, he died. It is. It is, right? And I, I used the nice weather last weekend to go up there. And by I, I mean my dad. Yeah. So bottom line there, please be really careful when you're yes. taking lights down or yeah. other decorations. You, bad things can happen. Uh, Scotty, thanks for uh, leveling us up on that. And that brings us to chapter three tonight, which is the uh, tornado emoji. And the good news is we don't really have uh, any sort of significant tornado threat in our forecast here in the Carolinas in the short term. But as many of you know, we did have some tornadoes in the Carolinas last Thursday with a very significant squall line that came through the Carolinas. And as bad as it was here, it was even worse to our west and other portions of the deep south, Mississippi, Alabama, and Georgia. Evan Fisher caught up with our friends from the Sirens Project who were in Georgia. Here's a little bit of what they saw and how you can help the storm victims. Warren, recently over the past couple of weeks, you've been pretty busy uh, with your nonprofit, the Sirens Project, down in Georgia. Can you tell us a little bit about what you saw in Georgia following the storms back on, what was it, uh, January 12th? Yeah, it was uh, Thursday, last Thursday. Um, so we uh, we have a rapid response uh, team that we deploy with Sirens Project, and that's usually um, here in the southeast. That's usually uh, the day of a tornado event. Started our day off in uh, Rome, Georgia, and so kind of the feel for the day was, um, you know, it was forecast to be a little bit more linear in nature. So we were just going to follow the line um, from north to south and just kind of bounce bounce along the edge uh, and just be ready to uh, cut trees out of the road, um, link up with local law enforcement and just kind of be a supplement to first responders uh, in that area, whatever area that was going to be. Around lunchtime, we realized that the threat in North Georgia was waning and uh, that uh, central to south Georgia was going to be the play of the day. And uh, we focused in on that uh, supercell that produced the Selma, Alabama tornado, which was a long track tornado. As you will remember that that supercell that Warren is talking about, it was easy for them to track. It was on the ground for 75 miles coming across portions of Alabama. And, and that same area, same line, produced a pretty significant tornado um, in Georgia as well. I think LaGrange, I believe, is, is yep. the town that it hit. And that was just – that was one of those systems that overperformed. You know, not severity-wise, but just tornado-wise altogether. They were as numerous tornadoes last last week. And um, it was a pretty, um, pretty nasty setup. And, you know, we talked about it last week. On our show about the severe weather setup, I believe we had a tornado in 
Gaston County and EF0, uh, a few down in the uh, South Carolina area as well. Um, so it was a pretty nasty line, but definitely the most intense part of these tornadoes were there in, in, tracking across Alabama into Georgia. Yeah, listen to what Warren says about those ones that went into Georgia. You know, the supercell in Selma, Alabama has the uh, potential to really um, cause some damage here in Georgia. And so we, we lined up with it um, just north of LaGrange and uh, came in behind it. Um, let the let the circulation um, go by us uh, to the south by probably four or five miles, and uh, you know at that time there was a CC drop and a debris ball was evident, and so we just followed in behind it, uh, got got on the damage path, and uh, within about 15 minutes we came across our first downed tree, and uh, there was a sheriff um, there, kind of you know trying to do what he could with the situation. Traffic was starting to back up pretty bad. And so we hopped out um, with our saws and started to get to work. And uh, the sheriff was very appreciative that, you know, that we were here to, to help jump in. And then before we knew it, uh, there were several locals um, getting involved and one had a heavy piece of equipment and uh, it was a John Deere skid steer. And so we uh, started you know, cutting that tree up into uh, larger pieces since we had the, the machine there and the machine really helped clear um, that area, um, that roadway. And then uh, the uh, sheriff was like, you know, we have we have a lot more areas uh, just outside of Griffin um, that need a lot of assistance. Um, half a mile to three quarters of a mile from downtown uh, Griffin where the fire station was. And that was that was still blocked in. And so uh, the sheriff department gave us uh an escort uh, to those the, those areas that still had down trees. And so we continued working with those locals uh, well into the night. We started about 5 p.m. Um, and went until about midnight uh, clearing clearing roadways, major roadways. And so that's amazing. I know you were a huge blessing to all of those folks down there impacted by that supercell. But with the people that you interacted with, the, you know, the sheriff's department uh, and everyone else, what was the morale like amongst people impacted by the storms? You know, I think it was a lot of uh, kind of kind of disbelief at first. You know, OK, we just went through a tornado, um, you know, the, the locals more so than we did. You know, we were we were a couple of miles behind the circulation. So they're kind of a little uh, frantic at first. But once we got into a, uh, a good um, a good workflow, uh, you know, they were just super excited to be able to help out. And I think we just kind of all fed off of each other. And when we started making progress um, on that first tree, you know, I think we just kind of snowballed into, uh, into a mindset of we just need to get this done uh, so we can open up some roadways and get uh, get traffic moving and people people back to their homes to check on their family and stuff. And so, yeah, that's wonderful. Um, you, you know, we were just chatting about this before we started recording here. We've been in contact, Science Project and Kellen Weather Group, since 2018, 2019, maybe even a little bit before then. Uh, we've, we've known each other for years, and it's been so amazing seeing how you guys help out and how the organization has grown uh, in that time. How can our viewers help uh, in times like this? Uh, yeah, you know we uh, we specialize in hazardous tree removal, so that's that's kind of uh, kind of our bread and butter after natural disasters. And so, you know that that takes uh, skilled volunteers, and that also takes you know financial um, abilities, uh, also equipment, uh, fuel, you know that sort of thing. So, um, I'd say you know if, if you want to get involved, um, you know if you have a, a skill set in tree removals or anything like that, or just want to uh, you know help these communities uh, directly, you can. Uh, 
check out our website at sirensproject.org and there's multiple ways that you can get involved or help us you know financially in the field some really cool work the sirens project guys do we've had them on the show before you may remember them as the storm chasers we featured a couple years back we're flying drones into tornadoes well their mission has evolved they are now doing as warren explained the first response helping with the tree removal which helps them reopen the roads get help in there get the locals back home and so uh we're glad to be able to connect with them and thanks to our evan fisher for catching up with them yeah, i was gonna say uh james it's pretty cool to see the evolution of what they were doing when we first met them of uh, having an ambulance and flying drones into tornadoes to now they're more focused on the after effects of these major natural disasters and helping out the community. So really great work that they do. And, you know, if you can um, help them out in any way possible, I know they would appreciate it. Absolutely. You can find the Sirens Project on uh, lots of different social media platforms. And in case anyone had any questions on whether or not tonight's show is live, yes, I've suddenly scrambled for the Chromebook because my computer locked up. So, And there goes Frank. So um, <laughs> that's okay. It happens. And hopefully you guys can uh, hear me all right. But uh, we, uh, we thank Tony, Tony Rice uh, and Warren Casey and the uh, North Carolina Park Service there for uh, coming on tonight and uh, helping us fulfill uh, this show, episode 438 of the Carolina Weather Group, now in its ninth year. And uh, we'll have to come up with a better title for tonight's show when it hits the archive. But for now, that does it for rocket ship emoji plus Christmas tree emoji plus beach emoji plus tornado emoji. I liked what Tony said about the comet tail getting sheared off the sun belching out solar winds so maybe we could do belching out solar winds is the title there but uh no in all seriousness this is also a new format that we're kind of trying out we'd love to know your opinion on it um do you like this uh it's a little bit more segmented and, and different topics let us know on your thoughts <clears throat> excuse me and we always take your suggestions on upcoming shows and future guests and future topics so let us know about that too and earlier Tonight, ooh, cool echo. Earlier tonight, you guys uh, taped an upcoming episode that's going to delve into why earthquakes keep happening in the Carolinas. And to get early access to that episode, support us here at the Carolina Weather Group at patreon.com slash Carolina Weather Group. There's a link in the description wherever you're watching or listening to tonight's show. For just a dollar, you can unlock episode extras. And come up to our full tier at $3.99. That's like half the price of a Starbucks latte. And you'll unlock early access to upcoming episodes. And what that helps us do, it buys green screens that are behind Frank Strait and buys lights that are shining in Scotty Powell's face. Little things like that hopefully make the show more enjoyable for you and help us pay a couple simple bills uh, here at the Carolina Weather Group. So that's patreon.com slash Carolina Weather Group. Thanks to everyone who joined in tonight's live chat. And I'll leave us here with this one. Have a good night. <laughs>